is Charles Spurgeon's sermon, Indwelling Sin. This is the third part of three. And now I come to the fourth point, which is a discovery of our corruption. Job said, Behold, I am vile. The word behold implies that he was astonished. The discovery was unexpected. There are special times with the Lord's people when they learn by experience that they are vile. They heard the minister assert the power of inbred lust, but perhaps they shook their heads and said, I cannot go so far as that. But after a while, they found by some clearer light from heaven that it was a truth after all. Behold, I am vile. I am preaching a little while ago from some deep text concerning the desperate evil of the heart, and one of my most esteemed friends said, well, I have not discovered that. I thought within myself, what a blessing, brother. I wish I had not, for it is a most fearful experience to pass through. I dare say there are many here now who say, I trust in no righteousness of my own. I trusted nothing in the world but the blood of Christ. But still, I have not discovered the vileness of my heart in the way you have mentioned. Perhaps not, brother, but it may not be many years before you are made to learn it. You may be of a peculiar temperament. God has preserved from all contact with temptations which would have revealed your corruptions or perhaps he has been pleased as a reward of his grace for deeds which you have been enabled to do for him to give you a peaceable life so that you have not been often tossed about by the tumults of your own soul. But nevertheless, let me tell you that you must expect to find in the inmost depths of your heart a lower depth still. God comfort you and enable you when you come out of the furnace to lie lower than ever at the footstool of divine mercy. I believe we generally find out most of our failings when we have the greatest access to God. Job never had such a discovery of God as he had at this time. God spoke to him in the whirlwind and then Job said, I am vile. It is not so much when we are desponding or unbelieving that we learn of our vileness. We do find out something of it then, but not all. It is when by God's grace we are helped to climb the mount, when we come near to God and when God reveals himself to us, that we feel that we are not pure in his sight. We get some gleams of his high majesty. We, we see the brightness of his skirts dark with insufferable light. And after having been dazzled by the sight, there comes a fall. As if smitten by the fiery light of the sun, the eagle should fall from his lofty heights, even to the ground. So with the believer, he soars up to God and on a sudden down, he comes. Behold, he says, I am vile. I had never known this if I had not seen God. Behold, 
I have seen him and now I discover how vile I am. Nothing shows blackness like exposure to light. If I would see the blackness of my own character, I must put it side by side with spotless purity. And when the Lord is pleased to give us some special vision of himself, some sweet intercourse with his own blessed person, then it is that the soul learns as it never knew before with an agony, perhaps, which it never felt, even when at first conceived of sin. Behold, I am vile. God is pleased to do this lest we should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation. He sends us this thorn in the flesh to let us see ourselves after we have seen him. There are many men who never know much of their vileness until after the blood of Christ has sprinkled on their consciences or even till they have been many years God's children. I met some time ago with the case of a Christian who was positively pardoned before he had a strong sense of sin. I did not, he said, feel my vileness until I heard a voice. Even I, even I, I am he after that. I, I thought how black I had been. I did not think of my filthiness, he said, till after I saw that I had been washed. I think there are many of God's people who, though they had some notion of their blackness before they came to Christ, never knew how thoroughly vile they were till afterwards. They thought then, how great must have been my sin to need such a savior? How desperate my filth to require such a washing? How awful my guilt to need such an atonement as the blood of Christ? You may rest assured that the more you know of God and of Christ, the more you will know of yourself and you will be obliged to say, as you did before, behold, I am vile, vile in an extraordinary sense, even as you never guessed or fancies until now, behold, I am vile, I am vile indeed. No doubt many of you will still think that what I say concerning your evil nature is not true. And you may perhaps imagine that grace has cut your evil nature up, but you know little about spiritual life. If you suppose that it will not be long before you find the old Adam as strong in you as ever. Here will be a war carried on in your heart to your dying day in which grace shall prevail, but not without sighs and groans and agonies and wrestlings and a daily death. Here is the way in which God discovers our vileness to ourselves. Now, if it be true that we are still vile, what are our duties? And here, let me solemnly speak to such of you as are heirs of eternal life, desiring as your brother in Jesus Christ to urge you to some duties which are most necessary on account of the continual filthiness of your heart. In the first place, if your heart be still vile, 
and there be still an evil nature in you. How wrong is it to suppose that all your work is done? There is one thing concerning which I have much reason to complain of some of you. Before your baptism, you were extremely earnest. You were always attending the means of grace, and I always saw you here. But there are some, some even now and in, in this place, who, as soon as they had crossed that Rubicon, began from that moment to decrease in zeal, thinking that the work was over. I tell you solemnly that I know there are some of you who were prayerful, careful, devout, living close and near to your God until you joined the church. But from that time forth, you have gradually declined. Now, it really appears to me as a matter of doubt whether such persons are Christians. I tell you, I have very grave doubts of the sincerity of some of you. If I see a man less earnest after baptism, I think he had no right to be baptized. For if he had had a proper sense of the value of that ordinance and had been rightly dedicated to God, he would not have turned back to any of the ways of the world. I am grieved when I see one or two who once walked consistently with us beginning to slide away. I have no fault to find with the great majority of you as to your firm adherence to God's word. I bless God that for the space of two years and more, you have held firm and fast by God. I have not seen you absent from the house of prayer, nor do I think your zeal has flagged. But there are some of you who have been tempted by the world, who have been led astray by Satan or who, by some change in their circumstances or some removal to a distance, have become cold and not diligent in the work of the Lord. There are some of my hearers who are not as earnest as they once were. My dear friends, if you know the vileness of your hearts, you would see the necessity of being as earnest now as ever you were. Oh, if when you were converted, your old nature were cut up, there would be no need of watchfulness now. If all your lusts were entirely gone and all the strength of corruption dead within you, there would be no need of perseverance. But it is just because ye have evil hearts that I bid you be just as earnest as ever you were. To stir up the gift of God which is in you and look as well to yourselves as you ever did. Fancy not the battle is over man. It is but the first trump summoning to the warfare. The trump has ceased and thou thinkest the battle is over. I tell thee, nay, the fight has but now begun. The host are only just led forth, and thou hast newly put on thine harness. Thou hast conflicts yet to come, but thou earnest, or else that first love of thine shall die, and thou shalt yet go out from us, providing that thou was not of us. Take care, my dear friends, of backsliding. It is the easiest thing in the world and yet the most dangerous thing in the world. 
take care of giving up your first zeal. Beware of cooling in the least degree. You were hot and earnest once. Be hot and earnest still. And let the fire which once burnt within you still animate you. Be ye still men of might and vigor, men who serve their God with diligence and zeal. Again, if your evil nature is still within you, how watchful you ought to be. The devil never sleeps. Your evil nature never sleeps. You ought never to sleep. What I say unto you, I shall say unto all. Watch. These are Jesus Christ's words. And there is nothing needs repetition half so much as that word watch. We can do almost anything better than watch. For watching is very wearisome work. There is little open honor got by it. And therefore, we do not have the hope of renown to cheer us up. Watching is a work that few of us, I'm afraid, rightly perform. But if the Almighty had not watched over you, the devil would have carried you away long ago. Dear friends, I bid you watch constantly. When the adjoining house is on fire, how speedily do persons rise from their beds? And if they have combustibles, move them from the premises and watch, lest their house also should become a prey to the devouring element. You have corruption in your heart. Watch for the first spark, lest it set your soul on fire. Let us not sleep as do others. You might sleep over the crater of a volcano, if you'd liked. You, you might sleep with your head before the cannon's mouth. You might, if you pleased, sleep in the midst of an earthquake or in a pest house. But I beseech you, do not sleep while you have evil hearts. Watch your heart. You may think they are very good, but they will be your ruin if grace prevent not. Watch daily. Watch perpetually. Guard yourselves, lest you sin. Above all, my dear brethren, if our hearts be, indeed, still full of vileness, how necessary it is that we should still exhibit faith in God. If I must trust my God when I first set out because of the difficulties in the way, if those difficulties be not diminished, I ought to trust God just as much as I did before. Oh, beloved, yield your hearts to God. Do not become self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency is Satan's net, wherein he catcheth men like poor silly fish and doth destroy them. Be not self-sufficient. Think yourselves nothing, for ye are nothing, and live by God's help. The way to grow strong in Christ is to become weak in yourself. God poureth no power into man's heart till man's power is all poured out. Live, then, daily a life of dependence on the grace of God. 
Do not set thyself up as if thou wast an independent gentleman. Do not start in thine own concerns as if thou couldst do all things thyself. But live always trusting in God. There hast as much need to trust him now as ever thou hadst. For mark thee, although thou wouldest have been damned without Christ at first, thou would be damned without Christ now, unless he still keeps thee. For thou hast evil as nature now, as thou hadst then. Dearly beloved, I have just one word to say, not to the saints, but to the ungodly. One cheering word, sinner, poor lost sinner. You think you must not come to God because you are vile. Now, let me tell you that there is not a saint in this place, but is vile too. If Job and Isaiah and Paul were all obliged to say, I am vile, oh, poor sinner, Wilt thou be ashamed to join the confession and say, I am vile too? If I come to God this night in prayer, when I am on my knees by my bedside, I shall have to come to God as a sinner, vile and full of sin. My brother sinner, dost thou want to have any better confession than that? Thou wantest to be better, dost thou? Why? Saints in themselves are no better. If divine grace does not eradicate all sin in the believer, how dost thou hope to do it thyself? And if God loves his people while they are yet vile, dost thou think thy vileness will prevent his loving thee? Nay, vile sinner, come to Jesus vilest of the vile believe on jesus thou offcast of world society thou who art the dung and the dross of the streets i bid thee come to christ christ bids thee believe on him not the righteous not the righteous sinners jesus came to save come now say lord i am vile give me faith Christ died for sinners. I am a sinner. Lord Jesus, sprinkle thy blood on me. I tell thee, sinner, from God, if thou wilt confess thy sin, thou shalt find pardon. If now with all thy heart thou wilt say, I am vile, wash me. Thou shalt be washed now. If the Holy Spirit shall enable thee to say with thine own heart now, Lord, I am sinful, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Thou shalt go out of this place with all thy sins pardoned, and though thou comest in here with every sin that man hath ever committed on thy head, Thou shalt go out as innocent, yea, more innocent than the newborn babe. Though thou comest in here all over sin, thou shalt go out with a robe of righteousness, white as angels are, as pure as God himself. 
so far as justification is concerned. For now, mark it, now is the accepted time. If thou believest on him who justifieth the ungodly, oh, may the Holy Spirit give thee faith that thou mayest be saved now, for then thou wilt be saved forever. May God add a blessing to this feeble discourse for his name's sake.